Welcome to the We Earn Media Show, where each episode we chat with a media professional, like an editor or journalist, and we discuss what makes a great and not-so-great PR journalist relationship. With me is my co-host, Jackie Lambert. And with us today, we have Michelle Rafter. Michelle Rafter is a freelance business reporter whose focus right now is COVID-19's impact on tech, work, and industry. Michelle also works as a ghostwriter and a contract editor, and she coaches other writers on how to run a successful freelance business. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Hi, thank you so much, both of you, for having me. Thank you. So let's first talk about how COVID-19 has impacted your work. Of course, sure. So as you mentioned in the introduction, I wear two hats. Um, I work as a business reporter and a ghostwriter. The business reporter thing started first. Um, I've covered tech and work and business um, for a long time. And that led me into doing more and more kind of behind the scenes work. Um, First doing content marketing writing, and, and that led me to do some work for some uh, management consulting firms and big national organizations as a ghostwriter. And so today, that is how I spend the majority of my time. And I was plugging away, sort of minding my own business, uh, working on a bunch of different ghostwriting projects in March when my business went from sort of business as usual to everything that I was doing was related to COVID-19 in some way or another. It meant that March ended up being my busiest month in the 12 years that I've been freelancing in terms of the hours that I spent. And also it was my top billing month. And it was because I had this mix of sort of non-COVID-19 and all of that came to a screeching halt when all of my ghostwriting work for a big management consulting firm that I work with um, switched to doing these very urgent briefings on what companies in various industries needed to do in order to deal with the crisis. And so I wrote a lot of LinkedIn posts that under normal circumstances might have taken um, a week or more to do with me ghostwriting for a team of anywhere from one to five uh, internal subject matter experts. And instead, I was doing those in 24 hours or 48 hours. It It was crazy. And that lasted for several weeks until sort of that initial phase went away. And this particular firm decided because they had cranked out so much in such a short time under emergency conditions, they needed to take a step back and evaluate how best to go forward, put some um, new rules and practices into place. And so for a time then, they, they stopped assigning anything. And being rather enterprising and also having dealt with um, the recession when I first started freelancing again, um, I did a quick pivot and reached out to other outlets that I had written for in the past as a journalist to see if they were accepting pitches, which they were. And so I did that quick pivot then to write more news stories 
um, about what was happening. And I spent a good portion of April doing that. And now that we're into May, I'm kind of back to doing a mix of both things. So what's changed since May? Like, is the firm not pausing their services anymore or what's changing? Uh, What's changed is some of the projects that were put on hold back in mid-March. It's been almost two months now and they are ready to resume working on them in some cases, especially on subjects that have some relevance for what companies are dealing with today. For example, so many companies have had layoffs and the people that are still working may need to be doing different kind of work than before or maybe working in a different way, or as the companies figure out how they have to change their operations going forward in order to, you know, stay in business, they they may to may need to get into a different product line or uh, move out of certain areas and into others. And so that has lots of ramifications for their workforce. So there's lots of planning type of material, I think, that's happening right now. So it's it's sort of the phase two, what's next step. And um, some of the projects that I were work, was working on had to do with um, the changes that were already taking place in how to provide a workforce with new skills. So that, those kinds of um, materials were a no-brainer to unfreeze the work on and continue with that. Whereas there are some other topics that the industries are still so in flux or the, the, top, the topics just still are not relevant right now that those projects are still on pause or who knows if they'll ever, ever come back. So that's, that's a little bit of what's changed. Yeah, that phase two is, it reminds me of the first COVID episode we did with a personal finance reporter. And she basically talked about there being a phase one um, after the, basically when the economy basically tanked in the U.S., um, her assignments became more reactive and reporting in real time. Obviously, anything not COVID related um, was put on hold. And she described what she felt was coronavirus fatigue, I guess you could say, COVID fatigue. Um, And now her assignments are more, I guess you could say, proactive under the new normal, you know? So um, have you seen, I'm I'm imagining you're seeing the same thing based off the fact that you called it phase two. Yes, I am. And I just have to say that if I don't ever hear the phrase, the new normal again, (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) <laughs> that was um well it it feels like we only just stopped using that term in relation to the recession mm. and here we are you know again <laughs> back again and so um i do everything in my power to dissuade uh my ghostwriting clients to think of something else to call it than the yes. new normal 
I love that. Yeah. I think I saw something um, that IBM had shared. It could have been IBM. It might've been a different company and they called it the new different. And I was like, <laughs> what? Okay. Doesn't make sense, but at least it's not the new normal. Oh my God. Um, with my reporter hat on. So I have, um, I have been looking at uh, topics that relate to sort of the, the two areas that I have written about for a long time, tech and work. And on the work side, um, now that we are in this period of so many layoffs and furloughs and people looking for work, um, it was really easy to sort of go back to that post-recession period where at the time I wrote a lot about careers and job hunting and the best ways to go about it. And so I, that was easy to kind of dig back into, okay, what did I do then? How could I repurpose the same kind of topics now? And I do a lot of writing for a tech um, site that's run by IEEE, which is a global um, professional organization for engineers and scientists. They have about 400,000 members. And they have a website and a print glossy magazine that's a monthly. But for their website, I write for, um, for their news channel. And so I put together a piece on um, places to look for jobs because it's really interesting that in in this time, very quickly, a ton of resources have come out, including some sites that just have popped up literally overnight that are tracking layoffs and job openings. So, I mean, even though um, the recession was only 12 years ago and everybody was online back then and there were lots of resources, there there wasn't this like immediate response of, oh, within three weeks of layoffs happening, we already have an app that's doing crowdsourced real-time layoff information. So um, that, was, that was one piece that I did on that. And then on the tech side, I have been covering, I guess, also what I would call kind of COVID-19 fallout um, and some of the stories that I've done on that would be how overloaded state employment department computer systems have been trying to process these unprecedented amounts of new benefits claims for all the people that have lost jobs. And in many cases, these computer systems are ancient. They're 30, 40 years old. Um, they, the state hasn't budgeted for upgrades. And so they're just drowning under the weight of all of these new applications, either on the back end side, um, they're on antiquated systems or on the front end, the website can't handle the number of people that are trying to fill out the forms at the same time. So I've also done stories on that and related topics um, for IEEE and some other publications. Now that you have your reporter hat back on, 
Can we ask you about how you're sourcing the stories that you're writing about? Of course. So I would say that, um, and I have a daily newspaper reporter background. So I do a lot of enterprise reporting, just that's my wheelhouse. Um, it is very rare that I would do a piece based on a press release. It just, I can't even remember the last time that happened. So what I do to source my stories or where I get ideas from stories is read a ton of um, mainstream and B2B publications, local publications, national publications, and just, I guess, after years of being in the business, have developed sort of an, uh, a sixth sense for what could make a good story for the particular publications that I work with. So if I have a, a story and I've got a green light from the editor that I pitched it to, then I could use a variety of methods for finding sources. I might not write a story based on a, a press release that I get, but I save a lot of them. I have story idea files um, and I have files by subject. And if I'm going to write about something, I'll go back to those to look for contact information for a company executive or an analyst or an association person who, or an academic who I think would be a good person to talk to for that. So that's one thing that I do. I definitely crowdsource and I use almost all the, the, the top social channels for doing that. Um, depending, and I use them in different ways depending on the topic that I'm writing about. So right now I'm crowdsourcing on Facebook for a more consumer human interest work from home piece. Um, and I'm doing that on Facebook because that's still sort of, that's my friends and family channel. Um, I use LinkedIn more as sort of my B2B channel. Um, and I have used it in recent times by looking at comments that people will leave on a post about a certain topic that I have found by doing a keyword search on that topic. And then I'll look and see what, what people have noted in a comment. And in some cases, just based on the criteria of the source that I was looking for, I'll identify someone and then um, send them an in-mail. And I can do that because last year I participated in a training session um, that LinkedIn does for journalists called LinkedIn for Journalists. And if you sit through one of those, I think it's once a year, they'll give you access to a premium level of the service, which gives you the ability to send in-mails to... Um, people that you're not first degree connections with, which is a super fantastic tool. Um, and there are other things that you can do when you have that level of um, account. 
that you can't do with the free service. And people are generally um, pretty amenable to getting contacted out of the blue by a reporter, even if they are, um, you know, a professor or a student or not someone who normally deals with reporters. I've found that to be um, pretty easy to get people to agree to an interview. And the other way that I crowdsource is, well, there's a few other ways. Um, I have used Help a Reporter Out, also known as Harrow, for on and off for years. Um, I haven't used it a lot recently, um, but I have used it pretty successfully in years past. Um, and that's the a service where you put in a request for sources for a specific topic, and then the people who run Harrow send that out to their lists and um, sources contact the reporter if they have a person who they think would be good for talking to. And then the other thing that I do a lot right now is use Twitter. Twitter is probably my main social channel. Um, I use, I do Twitter searches on keywords related to what I'm writing about um, and look through the results. And if I'm writing about uh, a more consumer or human interest type topic, I might you add a search term like I or we um, in order to find people who have used Twitter to share about something that they did. Um, I did that in March for a piece that I helped write for the LA Times at the very beginning of the shelter-in-place orders in California, where all of a sudden everyone was at home and they were using things like Zoom for the very first time to stay connected with family and friends. And I needed to find examples of people living in the LA Times readership area um, who were doing that. And I was able to, in, I think it was like a three hour window um, when I got this assignment, which was due later that day, find a handful of people um, and interview them. And it was from doing that kind of a search and then uh, asking them to connect with me so I could DM them an interview request and then doing a phone interview to follow up. And that was a really long answer. I hope that wasn't too long. It's fantastic. I have a follow-up question to that. Um, first of all, I think that the way you source is very interesting. Um, I think it's very thorough. And I think that's honestly should be a best practice for all journalists. Um, now, I'm thinking in terms of what that means for a PR practitioner I totally understand that you don't use press releases. That's very important. But let's say I am a PR person representing an expert in XYZ. How can they get your attention? Do you welcome any cold pitches that um, contain maybe an introduction to who that source is? And then second question I had, it's kind of irrelevant, but I kind of wanted to throw it out there in case it's part of the answer. 
do you ever use the same source twice? Because that obviously, as PR people try to build relationships with journalists, I have heard in the past that they don't prefer to use the same source all the time. So I'm kind of curious how you approach that. The answer to the first question is, I definitely hang on to information um, because if I am in a bind and I have to find a source quickly for something that I um, have a super short deadline for, then I've got the information and if the PR person has pitched me at some point, maybe they'll remember who I am. If out of the blue, I say, oh, hey, I'm following up on that expert that you pitched me uh, five months ago. I'd like to talk to them today. So I do hang on to those. And I do, I do keyword searches of my email folders every single day. Like Amen. every single day. <laughs> That's amazing. Find, yeah, to find that kind of stuff. Um, and then the second part of your question is, I would be a fool if I did not reuse my sources. Um, there's a caveat to that. But if you cover a beat, then you, you definitely have certain sources that you're going to talk to on a regular basis. Or if you're covering a particular story, like, say, the story of these state computer systems that are all overloaded right now. Well, if I do a story at the beginning of the COVID-19 crisis about how, you know, the state of Connecticut is hiring retirees from its department to come back and work on these antiquated systems, then maybe three months later, I want to know, hey, how'd it go? I got to talk to the same people, right? That just makes yeah. sense. On the other hand, um, I'm working on uh, uh, a project right now looking at certain state regulations. This has nothing to do with the unemployment situation. This is something completely different. And I have highlighted a couple individuals who have fought these regulations in their respective states. And now there's some new information that's come out that I'm going to write about. Um, and my editor has specifically requested, you know what? You've written about those people a couple times before. Let's find some new voices. So in that particular situation, I'm going to avoid going to those people again just to have some fresh voices in the picture. Thank you. That's a very good answer. Yes, that was all perfect. And I think um, if you have any more uh, words of advice on the topic of pitching you know, stories or crafting stories during COVID-19, why don't we talk about that now, uh -huh. and then we'll transition to some of the really cool stuff you do with data. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. So I do have some other thoughts on um, how PR people can be helpful, in, especially right now, 
in this time where lots of reporters are super slammed, there are they're on tight deadlines, they are trying to deal with sources who are themselves under a lot of stress, might be working from home, might be dealing with situations in their own lives that are out of their control or where they have a lot more demands on their time. So PR people can be extremely helpful in a number of ways. For example, you know, helping schedule those interviews and make sure that those experts show up on time when they're supposed to for the interview. Sitting in on the interviews, um, which I know some reporters balk at that, but I don't, unless the person is inserting themselves into the interview, in which case that's, that's kind of no bueno. But if they are taking notes and take a special note of any kind of materials that come up in conversation um, or that the expert brings up and says, oh, well, we did a report on this or, oh, I can send you a link afterwards. And then that information shows up in my inbox immediately after the interview so I don't have to go chase it down. That is extremely helpful. Something that um, that if companies don't already do it, they should do it now, is put the contact name and contact information of the media representative who's available to talk to reporters on their website. That just sounds like a no-brainer, but you would be amazed at how many organizations don't make that easy to find. Um, it's not on the press releases, or you go to the newsroom page of their site, and there's no contact. Um, that's just frustrating, and it it um, it makes it so that that a reporter like me, if I'm super under pressure from a deadline, and there are multiple options for other sources, I'll go somewhere else where I can find that contact information. So that's just a little thing that you can do to prepare. Um, and, and then just to be responsive. If you do put news out on a specific day, um, to make sure that there is someone who is available that day to talk about it. Um, that, again, sounds like a no-brainer. But you would not believe how many times um, in my career I've wanted to follow up with some kind of an announcement and was told that, oh, they're on vacation or the expert you have to talk to is on vacation or they're booked uh, doing interviews with other media today. They can't talk to you. So just some advanced planning would be super helpful. And I think uh, with that, I will stop. I think this actually might be a great way to end things. And I know we had a lot of other questions related to your work with data, but Michelle, we might have to just have you back on in a future episode to continue that because I know there's a lot we haven't covered and I want to do that justice. Um, but before we end, is there anything else that, you know, any 
final words of advice. It doesn't have to be related to COVID-19 pitching. Um, but yeah, anything else that you wanted to make sure we talked about um, in this episode? I would just end by saying that um, writers and reporters vent a lot about bad experiences with PR, but there are some great PR practitioners out there who make life a lot easier for people like me. And I really do appreciate them for what they do and for making my job easier um, when, when they do. Um, I am very grateful. And yeah, I would leave it at that. Yeah. Thank you for coming on the show, Michelle. It was so nice to talk to you. It was great to talk to you guys too. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of We Earn Media. If you head over to weearnmedia.com, you'll find a summary of the episode along with links to any of the resources and more information about our lovely guest and where you can find them online. If you have any topic suggestions or just general PR questions for us or future guests, email us at podcast at weearnmedia.com. Of course, you can also find us on social media. Our handle is at weearnmedia and we're on Twitter and Instagram. 